if you don't have $3,000 to hire a lawyer to pay for your partnership agreement, then you shouldn't start your company. This is Alyssa Paget. Welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 188. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly show for nomadic entrepreneurs where we talk about running a business on the road, except we don't really talk about it because I am not your host. I am taking over for what we're calling a startup series where I get to turn the microphone around and interview Heath so that you can hear a little bit more about Heath's own business experience. In my opinion, he doesn't share enough of his own story, and so I wanted to give him a chance to share a little bit more about Campground Booking, which is his software startup that he's been working on for the past few years. He's actually been bootstrapping it with a couple of partners, and that is what we're going to talk about today. Partnerships, whether you should go at it alone, whether you should have partners, and how all that works legally. So, Heath, thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on my show. I feel like that's actually how you like are supposed to start it, because they have that in every podcast, like, thanks for being here. So Yeah, it seems like a nice thing to say. Yeah, yeah exactly. So tell me about your partners. You mentioned them in the first episode of this startup series, Paul and Bob. Give me the rundown on how you met them. So basically, when you start a software company, a lot of times there's two people, unless you are the developer and the business side of things. Whenever we were finishing up Hourly America, basically I started thinking about this whole idea of what it could look like to start a campground booking type company. I met Bob in February of that year and then we were kind of kicking around the idea together on how we could make it work. He was a designer, I was more of a business development marketing guy and we realized we needed to bring somebody else into the fold who had the development chops to make it come to life. And it was during the summer of 2016, I remember we were up in Montana and I was kicking around the idea of actually joining a company who is going to help fund it and build it. I don't know if you remember that. We, yeah, we don't have to go into the details around that. But basically, I was going back and forth between like starting it inside of another company who's kind of kicked some resources out to make it happen or trying to do it on my own. And I ended up deciding to not go the other route. And I realized like it was really intimidating to try to figure out how to bring in a developer. I didn't have a close friend who was a developer who I would like go to and say, Hey, do you want to help me build this? And the idea of just like going to a random networking event to try to meet somebody who had the technical chops to build it didn't sound super appealing either. And I did meet up with a angel investor in Austin, a group, you know, who funds lots of different startups and things like that. And I thought about the idea of raising, you know, like a seed round of $50,000 to build like an MVP and hire a developer and make it happen. And no route seemed like ideal or perfect. And then once I decided, like, I'm just going to try to find somebody to bring them in at the ground floor and make this thing happen, I posted in the RV Entrepreneur Facebook group, said, hey, I'm looking for an awesome developer to come on and help solve, you know, this whole like campground online reservation experience and how we can build a really good product. And I had three people that were legit qualified. One was like an exec at EA Games who was a developer and had lots of experience with that. And then one of them ended up being Paul, who was my co-founder. And when I talked to him, I just seemed like he had so much experience. He had actually done some projects with MapQuest and integrating with Priceline, like route planning. He had experience managing teams. He could build lots of different stuff. He was like, I can have an MVP up and running in a couple months for us to like get started on this. And he did. And so essentially it was kind of like, it was really scary before getting into it. But then I realized like literally by posting in this group, having a couple calls and deciding to like go ahead and just start the company and form it was all that was really required to find a co-founder. A lot of times people will like, you want to be friends with somebody for a long time. And there's all these different kind of fears that are associated with starting a company with somebody else. And a lot of times they don't work. I read a book 
it's called the startup playbook that was sent to me by our designer who we've worked with for over a year now the data around companies that are started with two or more people like they almost always fail or the partnerships don't work out oh it's kind of crazy like the amount of companies that have started with more than two people that don't work out or at least from the partnership perspective don't work out was really interesting i don't mm-hmm. have any sources to cite other than that book but it's an interesting dynamic and process so yeah that's kind of how it all started so you met Paul by posting in our Facebook group. You met Bob pretty much the same way you didn't mention. He just happened to be driving through Alabama when we were in Alabama. But he was in our Facebook group too. So we met both yes. on Facebook. So group. great way to meet any partners for a software startup. Just Facebook, you know, <laughs> just hop on on there. You can find one. So you've got Bob, who is kind of the design UI person. And you've got Paul, who is going to be your developer. All three of you are going to go in this together. How do you go about figuring out the partnership itself? So I would say that we made a lot of mistakes during this time, and so we'll get into that. And <laughs> I, for that reason, I'm not sure that I'm a great person to talk to about this, but I have learned a lot about it just in this year because we've had to restructure the whole partnership agreement. The way we started out, and I don't know that I think this is a great idea so for this most is a startups good example of maybe of what like, not to yeah, do. Yeah, here's what not to do. Yeah, so we did the classic third to third to third. So we all own 33.3% of the company. I was CEO. Paul was CTO. Would Bob there be like a 0.1% that was left over? Did someone have a little bit more? Because like 100. 3, 3, 3, 3, 3, 3, 3, oh, so like 3, 3, 3, yeah, 3, 3, 3, 3 repeating like yeah. completely even. Just no third, one yeah. had a majority. Right, exactly. Wow, okay. So looking back at the original partnership, agreement i would still have like ultimate say as like the chief executive officer like if we ran into a problem where we couldn't move forward but yeah i i I think in hindsight it would have been wise to talk with other people who were funding SaaS companies and i think the thing that we did uh, maybe this is getting ahead of ourselves where where we should have done better is don't make the idiotic i'm just going to say it like don't make the idiotic mistake of not hiring a lawyer and paying $3,000 for a legit operating agreement. If you don't do it, you will regret it and you will spend much more money in the long run than you had up front. It always seems like a lot of money, especially if you're bootstrapping your company, but if you plan on succeeding to any measure, then you'll save way more money in the long run. If you don't have $3,000 to hire a lawyer to pay for your partnership agreement, then you shouldn't start your company. And I'm just going to be very bold about that just because I can tell you after going through this process and talking with a lot of other people, it's not worth it. And you will not think of all the things that you should. So we did a basic rocket lawyer. What's I don't remember the name of the company. They do like templates for like no, legal we've stuff. Used, I've used rocket lawyer to like download releases and yeah. stuff. So you just got So we downloaded template. a standard operating agreement and it actually helped that we had something basic like written out. But in hindsight, it still ended up, we, we bought out one of our partners this year, Bob. And so he took a job and he's happy about that. And we basically, instead of having a clear cut roadmap, what a proper operating agreement does is it essentially gives you a good exit path. It's not saying that you are starting a business with somebody you don't trust. It's basically just saying like, hey, this thing that we're getting into is a big deal. It's mm-hmm. big for our families. It's big for our future. And it could be big when we have employees who are relying on us and customers who are running their businesses off of this. It impacts a lot of people. And if one of us decides we need to go another way because this is a risky endeavor and it's hard and it's challenging and sometimes life happens, then we need a proper way to make that happen and quickly with a defined period of time and what happens for a lot of different situations. And lawyers' jobs are to come up with worst case scenarios that you won't think of 
And so that's why it's so important to basically make sure you outline this from the very beginning because I spent many, many, many days going through a lot of scenarios and it can put you in a bad place. You know, like chances are like a lot of times partnership might not work out, especially if you have more than two people on board. And so that's why it's just really important because like, hey, if it doesn't work out, it's business. It doesn't have to be personal, especially if you've outlined what happens if somebody needs to go another way. That was probably the biggest hole you felt you had in your initial partnership agreement was not actually having an exit strategy for any of the partners. Yeah. And having somebody also sit down with you who's done this 150 times and ask you the right questions that you need to think about from the very beginning. Because I think in hindsight, like if somebody doesn't want to go through the proper steps to outlining a partnership agreement from the very beginning, like that could be a red flag, I think, because then maybe they're not truly vested in the business. Like if they're worried about, you know, typical vesting agreement might be four years. So like shares can vest over that time. So each year or each quarter, you get like a certain number of share allotment to you as a founder or early employee in a company. You know, if somebody's worried about like doing that over a long period of time, they're probably not really in it. So yeah, like they don't I, want to stick around. Yeah. So a lot of these things I think can come up from from the very early beginning stages so that once you're two to three years in and you're at sensitive time in your business, like maybe from a cash flow or customer perspective, or you need to go out and raise money, which happened to us this year. It's like we were in a place with Campground Booking earlier this spring and we basically needed to go after funding. Mm-hmm. But we couldn't even have those conversations realistically until we navigated a successful partnership exit. So it wasn't like a thing where anybody was like hateful at each other or upset. It just took time to navigate and come to terms on what you know could be an amicable exit. And if you go out and try to pitch investors and like share with them like a third of our cap table is not even available, we couldn't even go out and have meaningful conversations right. because you know like who's going to invest in a company when you've got a founder that is not involved in the business and like has a third. So there's all different types of scenarios that you can run into, but that's going to be my main learning experience this year has been the importance of from the outset, starting with a proper operating agreement. You're going to be happy. You're going to be excited. You're starting a business. You're going to change the world. That's great. And go do it, but just make sure that you set it up properly. Because like you said, like without that exit, you couldn't actually then focus on scaling the company because you had to figure out this one issue first and, take yeah. a long time. It takes a ton of time. Yeah, exactly. So complicated. So how did you decide you just threw out there where you each get a third and you know, you're good at design, you're good at development. I'm good at business. Like that's what we're going to do. Or how did you kind of figure out what roles you would each be playing in the business? Yeah, it was exactly like that. Like Paul's developer, Bob is a designer. So yeah, casual. A, yeah, pretty it's, casual. it's pretty casual. But there's a book called The Partnership Charter, which okay. our friend Chris Crimmins recommended to to me early on. And I read most of it. And I think it was really good as you're thinking about going into founding a company with a partner because it has a lot of really good questions and kind of a framework for you to go through and like talk through situations. And one of the things that gets brought up in that book is like, what is the value in your role in the company? Which this is something that if you have a lawyer come in, they're going to help with too, because they may say, look, Heath, you're really good at sales and marketing, but is that worth 33% of the company? And maybe it is, maybe it's worth 40%, but they come in and say, Hey, like you're really good at customer support. You're incredibly personal, but maybe that's only like less than a 1% role in the company. And th- and that's just like, if you're talking to your friend who's a founder and something like that could be a hypersensitive, but if you're talking right. to a lawyer who's done this 150 Someone times, third party. exactly. I think there's a lot of different ways to kind of slice up equity roles and things like that in the beginning. And that's where I don't think that I'm qualified at all. But maybe if you're starting a company, I think the main takeaway for me has been around the operating agreement side of things. So whenever 
Bob got a full-time job, got off the road of RVing, moved into a house, major life change, wasn't going to focus on campground booking anymore. What was y'all's first step of figuring out, okay, do you buy them out? Do you restructure the partnership? Do you have to bring in a lawyer at that point? Like, that's, I feel like, where all the stress comes in when you've got one partner that's wanting to leave and you've kind of got a solid agreement, but not totally. Yeah, so I, that was a thing. I think for me, the hardest part about that was navigating, like, it is negotiation, you know, so that mm-hmm. is first and foremost it. But I think the other big part of that situation is very delicate. Like, you started business with somebody and, like, nobody wants to feel like they got the short end of the stick, right? Mm-hmm. And I think anytime you're doing a situation like that, like, it's very challenging for somebody to not feel that way. And so that was kind of like my main goal with this whole process was being like, hey, look, you've got things that you're really excited about. We have things that we're excited about to keep running this business. And we need to find a way that we can all move forward and have a mutual goal and making this thing happen. Because I think that once it turns negative, once it turns blaming, like you did something wrong, we did something wrong, anything like that. And there were a couple of those things that kind of got brought up, but it was like, I kind of, you kind of have to nix those in the bud because like they're just not productive. You know, mm-hmm. like the, the point of the matter is like we had an idea and life changed. And for that reason, we need to find a way out that makes sense for everybody. And so I think for me, whenever that point came along, that was like my main goal is to figure out how we can continue operating the business and him go his way and be happy about it and not feel like he got a short end of the stick and the same for us. And so that was kind of just a little bit of trial and error to feel out how we can structure something that works out for everybody. And I don't want to get into like the specifics and I usually really do in this podcast, but I feel like this one's a little bit more delicate, but in short, what we ended up doing was like buying him out for a little bit of cash. And I would say for the stage in that we were at in the company, like a generous amount based on like forward looking revenue payments. Was it at all based on the fact that he had also spent like years of Totally, his own time totally. unpaid obviously. absolutely absolutely he had spent a lot of time we all had and mm-hmm. like we had all like flown places together spent time on calls and weekends and things like that so part of it's like not just here's what the company's valued at, at this point in time but like if you were to get paid as a contractor or something like that it's probably still even like less than that mm-hmm. you know and that's part of starting a business too but like the place where we were at as a bootstrap company was like if we try to pay out that out of our bank, like we're going to go into massive debt and we just can't afford it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a mix between like, Hey, we're going to do the best we can and try to come up with something that's really fair, but also it's got to have to be dripped out fair. You know what I mean? Because right. it's still more than like we've taken. You so. don't want to ruin the company. Exactly. And, the and then it wouldn't make sense for the, the exiting party either. So, right. So you said you did the initial like cash and then what else? A drip payment based on like revenue. So in other words, okay. like uh, a cap on like how much revenue we make each year goes to him up to a certain point. So that I would assume had to be done by a lawyer. Yep. And and the way that our lawyer described it was like, there's no, there's no right or wrong way. So that was like the part that was really helpful from a lawyer perspective. He's like any situation, any payment distribution is not wrong. He's like, I can draft up anything. So mm-hmm. it could have been like a one-time payment. It could have mm-hmm. been like payments forever. It could have been like a cap like we did. And so there was really no right or wrong way. It's just having somebody to write it up and draft it up and have kind of like it wasn't like a mediation because he actually represented the company. That's what I was going to ask. So yeah. he represents campground booking. So he represents you and Paul and Bob's interests. So. For sure. And he actually said explicitly to all of us, probably individually, he was like, if somebody tries to team up and go against the other person, he's like, I cannot represent you. You can hire your own lawyer, but I represent the company. So my job is to find the best outcome for the company, which I think is really good. Even though mm-hmm. like Paul and myself brought 
actually I found him and brought him in. So it was like, that was really good. And having somebody who represented the company as a whole, because then his job is to not try to like team up with any one person, but mm-hmm. to make sure that the company has a successful future. So it kind of helps align everybody's goals moving forward. But again, if we would have had a proper operating agreement and he even said this to me, you know, he was like, Keith, you know, love you, man, basically. But he's like, and I don't mean to patronize you, but next time just hire, hire somebody from the very beginning when you get this thing started and have something proper in place. So we won't have to spend all this time because mm-hmm. we end up spending, you know, a lot more right out of the gate in finances just to hire him. But I can't even imagine how much time and effort and energy we all spent collectively going through this process. It was tens of thousands of dollars. So I think that that is, that was, that's why I kind of beat that into the ground. Like if you're starting something with somebody, like just make sure it's documented properly and hire somebody who who knows what they're doing. And I think the other thing that I kind of learned from that is having that lawyer that's there for the company. It it kind of eliminates that us versus him mindset of like, he's leaving us. He's going to have his own lawyer fighting with our lawyers. Like, no, we've got one lawyer. He represents the company and he's going to do what's best for all of us. Yeah. And I would say that it's just incredibly risky to start something and not have everything documented as it should. Like you're putting Mm -hmm. all of your heart and soul and life and your, and your partner's life into this business and making it work. And the idea that it's not structured in a way that's going to like guarantee you a piece of it moving forward is like a dumb risk. So if you're not comfortable with answering, I will edit this out, but (laughs) ballpark, how much money would you say you've spent on your lawyer specifically on figuring all this stuff out of buying out a partnership and then now restructuring your real partnership agreement without Bob being a part of it. $12,000. $12,000. When it could have been like that initial 3000 Well, there's a good little business lesson right there. <laughs> and that's just in literal revenue or income or money. Fees. But, yeah, fees. But that's also with our convertible note that we're raising right now. Okay. So that's a big, like half, more than half of that. Which I think is probably a whole other conversation. And that's not how it all works exactly because like that's how much we've paid in retainer. So Mm -hmm. like if we don't use all those hours, we could get some of that back. That's how like it works. But you're still looking at five figures for for this little little partnership thing. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, what advice you would give to someone who's about to start a company or in the beginning stages who has one partner or two partners and they're trying to figure out the best way to move forward. But it sounds like there's one piece of advice hire a lawyer yeah have a legit operating agreement is my thing and it sounds intimidating but it's not i literally searched business lawyers in wyoming where our companies filed i went to three or four websites i had a couple calls not all lawyers will charge you for that initial call have a 20 minute chat say hey do you have a standards package for filing and organizing a company they'll say yes typically it's around a couple thousand and it's worth every penny Awesome. Would you feel comfortable sharing your lawyer? You like him enough to share him with anyone else registered in Wyoming? Sure. Lee Dickinson. Yeah. Dickinson Law Firm. He's a great guy. Dickinson Law Firm in in Wyoming. (laughs) That is it for this episode on partnerships. In the next episode, we're going to dig into something a little bit more complicated. Pricing. How do you price your product? How do you go about figuring out what people are actually going to be willing to pay for it so that then... Whenever you do have to buy out a partner, you actually have some money that you can do it with. Thank you so much, Heath, for coming on and sharing your wisdom. You are listening to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. How do you do this outro? What do you say? <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, and I'll see you guys next next week on the I, RV Entrepreneur. That's a lot of the RV that's, Entrepreneur. That's a lot of the RV yeah, Entrepreneur. Usually just say, thanks so much for listening. 
and I'll see you guys next week on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. Bye.